This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me, if you would, please, to uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 24. 1 Samuel chapter number 24. We're continuing our study of the life of David, and uh, we've taken for our theme uh, the fact that David served his generation according to the will of God. And uh, we are here in this generation, and God has placed us here to serve him. And he is directing us. And we're learning great lessons in the life of David that apply to our lives today as we seek to serve our Lord. We come to 1 Samuel chapter number 24 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter number 24. We'll read the entire chapter. We'll begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way, and uh, where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. It came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. And David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, Saul stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself, or David rather stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord hath delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Uh, moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand, and I have not sinned against thee. Yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judged between me and thee, and the Lord avenged me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancient, Wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? 
The Lord therefore be judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul that Saul said, Is this the, thy voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me, and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore unto Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men gat them up unto the hold. We notice the phrase we find in the closing part of verse number 12 when David spoke to Saul. And David said, The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. I want to speak to you this morning on that subject, my hand shall not be upon thee. Now, those of you who have come lately into, or maybe you're here for the first time today and you've come uh, into our services, uh, let me just pause and give you a moment of backdrop. Saul is the king of Israel. He is a king who's been rejected by God, though he had been chosen by the Lord. In fact, not only had he been chosen by the Lord, he was the people's choice. And in this situation, God has allowed the people's choice to stand. I believe that God is using Saul as an instrument in dealing with his own people. And Saul has rejected the word of the Lord. He has disobeyed time and time again the commandments of God and disregarded them. And so God said to Samuel the prophet, I have rejected Saul as king. Now, he had not removed him as king. He had rejected him. He said, I will seek a man after mine own heart. That man was David, the shepherd boy of Bethlehem. And David was anointed as the king. David was then summoned to serve Saul. He began to play an instrument for Saul. Saul was troubled with an evil spirit, and, and David would play his instrument to soothe Saul. Then we find David in the valley of Ephah, uh, Elah, rather, and in the valley of Elah, he faces Goliath, this giant whom no man would face, and defeats him. By that action, the nation of Israel is delivered from the bondage of the Philistines, but the wars and the fights will go on with the Philistines. David then will lead Saul's army, and he will lead them wonderfully, and they will win victory after victory. But there will come a time when Saul becomes very jealous of David. And in his jealousy and in his rage, he turns against David. He begins to concoct stories and lie against David. And we find here as we come to chapter number 24 that David and his band of men that had begun with 400, as we noted uh, 
just a few chapters ago, increased to 600, and they're hiding from Saul. Saul has come now with 3,000 men to put David to death. David has served Saul faithfully, and he has served him loyally. And what has he received in return? Well, he's received uh, wickedness and evil from the hand of Saul. As we noted in chapter number 23, uh, Saul heard the news that David was shut in, and he, he thought that God had delivered him, David, into his hand. And we saw that David was sought by the hand of Saul. We find this word hand used numerous times, <clears throat> or, or, or this phrase concerning the hand, whether it be the hand of Saul or the hand of David or even the hand of the Lord. We see this phrase used numerous times in chapter 23 and 24. And we saw in chapter number 23 that David was sought by the hand of Saul, but then later he was strengthened by the hand of Jonathan. And then all along, he was safe in the hand of God. As we come to chapter number 24, the tables are turned. Saul has wandered into a cave perhaps rest or a need for a private moment. He's wandered into a cave. He does not know that David and his men are hiding in the cave. He, lie, he lays aside his robe, and David has his opportunity. David's men beckon him. This is the time. Go ahead and take his life. Be rid of your enemy and your adversary once and for all. But David refuses to and resists that temptation. He does not cut off Saul's life. He cuts off a piece of the fringe of his robe, his royal robe that he was wearing. He will later show him that piece of garment that he cut off with his knife or with his sword to show and demonstrate clearly to Saul and to his men that David meant him no harm and that when David could have killed him, he chose not to. And Saul, of course, confronted with the truth of who David really is and confronted with his own sin, will shed tears in this chapter, as we've read. And he will affirm to David that truly God has chosen him, David, to be the king. I want you to note some things in this passage as we look at it together. I'll give them to you. Uh, we'll note, number one, David's hand. We'll see, secondly, David's heart. And then thirdly, David's honor, his hand, his heart, and his honor. And as I said a moment ago, our theme for this study, of course, has been that David has served his generation. And I imagine that when David thought about serving the Lord and serving his nation and his generation and the fact that God had chosen him and ordained that he would be the king someday, he never dreamed that his own king would turn against him. He never dreamed that in order for him to be prepared to serve his generation that he would have to go through such suffering. Perhaps there's a Saul in your life this morning. They're everywhere. They're at home, within the family. You may have a mean mate. 
You may have a bad boss. You may have a rebellious child, a naughty neighbor. Somebody who no matter what you do to them, no matter what you do for them, they just delight, it seems, in causing you grief. That's what's happening in David's life. So what did he do when he had the opportunity? He did nothing but give it to God. My hand shall not be upon thee. Now that doesn't make sense to most people. But in God's economy, it's the way to go. And in your situation and in your life, it's the way of faith. It's the right way. So let's note these things this morning. Number one, we see David's hand. David's hand. Verse number one, and it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Now remember, Saul and his men, had they had surrounded David and his men. But then he got the news that the Philistines had invaded, so he had to leave, and David was spared. Now the battle with the Philistines is over, and Saul receives the news. David is in the wilderness of En Gedi, and it was a rough place. He took 3,000 chosen men, verse number 2, out of all Israel, and we went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. Now, I don't know if you've seen those images of those goats along the the steep mountainsides, the rocky hills of Judea. But it's treacherous ground. Well, that's where David and his men are hiding. And this is the length that Saul will go to to find him. And so as he came, verse number three, to the sheep coats, by the way, where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. You see, it was circumstances that led Saul into the hand of David. Circumstances. Finally, David had the opportunity that maybe he had been dreaming of. His enemy is in his presence and helpless to defend himself. He doesn't realize it, but he's there. And imagine all the things that David wanted to say and do to this oppressive king who had been so mean and unkind and uncharitable to him, who had returned David's love and loyalty with hatred and enmity. Saul had unknowingly fallen into David's hand and uh, there in the cave to seek a private moment or perhaps to get some rest, he laid his robe aside. David's men hiding in the cave with him whispered to David. Notice it in verse 4. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Now, they couldn't be real noisy, could they? They had to be still. They didn't want Saul to know they were in there, in the sides of the cave, deeper into the cave, hidden away in the dark. They said, somebody's in here. Hey, it's Saul. David, 
Now is your opportunity. That was the counsel he was given. Go ahead, David. Take care of the problem. End this thing once and for all. Just give him a piece of your mind. Better yet, give him an edge of the sword. And in that moment, David was faced with the temptation, was he not? What was the temptation? The temptation was to take things into his own hands. Finally, he had the opportunity to take the wheel and once and for all, be rid of Saul. Thus, the throne of Israel would be his. So slowly and quietly, David proceeded along the edge of the cave until he came to where Saul was with a knife in hand. But he did not use that knife to smite Saul. He used it to slice off a piece of the edge of Saul's robe, a portion that is referred to here as the skirt. It is the fringe or the edge of the robe. And he cut just a piece of it off, and he came back to his men. You see, when given the opportunity, David recognized that he could not take things into his own hand, but that he must allow God to work. David's hand. Then we see, secondly, David's heart. And really, this is the key because David's hand was, restra- was restrained rather by his heart. The reason he didn't smite him with his hand is because David's heart was smitten. Notice, if you would, please, in verse number 5, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. I can't help but think of all the times that Saul has sought to smite David and never succeeded. But now in one act of irreverence, And it's even hard to say that, isn't it? Because we understand that Saul had it coming to him. But in an act of irreverence, although he restrained himself, he did cut off the edge of the robe of the king of Israel, the anointed of the Lord. You say, well, he may have been anointed, but he certainly wasn't a good guy. No, he wasn't. But David's heart smote him. Now, we note three things about his heart here. I think they're important for us to see. Number one, we see the ruling power within his heart. The ruling power within his heart. You see, I imagine that when David came back with his sword or with his knife and he had just a piece of the royal robe and not the blood of Saul on that sword, they were not happy. You've got to remember this group of men these 400 that had now grown to 600 and probably were growing every day, they were not happy with Saul either. Not only had Saul been oppressive to David, but Saul had been oppressive to the nation. They wanted him dead. They were disappointed. But David said, when I got there, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. 
Well, why couldn't you do it, David? Because my heart smote me. There was a voice in me, a conscience in me, a conscience that God put in all of us that tells us you don't do wrong to make things right. A spirit that was in me, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that dwells in the heart of every believer that guides us and convicts us of our sin, that rules in our heart. It is the presence of God. It is the life of God. It is the word of God that resides in the heart of man that governs us. It was more powerful than the hand of David's flesh that wanted to even the score with Saul. Because David realized something. Look at it, if you would, please, in verse 6. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. He's a mean master. uh, Yes, he is, David. But he's the Lord's anointed. To stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. You see, David did not forget who it was that had put Saul in the place of the king. It was the Lord. And the same oil that had flowed down his forehead in the house of his father, Jesse the Bethlehemite, was the same substance, the same oil that flowed down the brow of Saul when he was anointed king. And David recognized something. It was God who put him in that position. And therefore, it was God and God only who could remove him from that position. David recognized that he couldn't do it himself and that he should not do it himself, that it was up to the Lord, though he may have felt justified in doing so, and though you and I may at times feel justified in giving somebody a piece of our mind. Shooting an arrow or a dart or taking the blade and and penetrating someone's heart with it to inflict a wound because they've wounded us. So we believe they have it coming. But nonetheless, no matter how justified we may feel, we never have permission to take matters into our own hands. David learned to give these matters into wiser hands, into more powerful hands, into more loving and benevolent hands, the hands of God. Now, who is our example here? Well, it's obviously the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our example in this. There has never been a greater injustice carried out in the history of the world than the injustice that Jesus suffered for our sins. It is the single greatest injustice the world will ever know. And while he suffered such an injustice, when he was reviled, he reviled not again, but he committed himself to him, that's his father, who judgeth righteously. Have you ever thought about this? What would have happened had Jesus come down from the cross? You know, while he hung upon the cross, after suffering so, the suffering continued. The cruel agony of the cross, and then the scorners, the false accusers, 
And those who were filled with contempt and hatred for Christ surrounded the cross and they, 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 they yelled out and they, they laughed at him and said, uh, if you're the son of God, come down from that cross. When I read that story, I, I can see myself there and I, I'm there by the cross and here's what I want to say. I just wish the Lord would have come down and just let them all have it. They certainly deserved it, didn't they? But he didn't do that. And if he had come down, and if he had smitten them, do you know that he would have not completed the work of redemption? While they mocked him and said, oh, he thinks he's a king. I want to tell you, he was the king. And he is the king. And he won the kingdom that day by dying on a cross. He conquered this world and death and hell and Satan and your sin and mine by his death on the cross. We see the ruling presence and power within his heart. Then secondly, we note here concerning his heart, the reverent posture of his heart. David was not a haughty person. He was humble. Notice, if you would, please, in verse number 8, David also rose afterward. Saul now has gone out of the cave, and David runs after him. He lets him get out there a little ways, and then he comes out. And he cried after Saul. He didn't say, hey, listen, you dirty bum. That's what most of us would have said or definitely would have wanted to say. What does he say to him? My Lord, the King. He addresses him with respect. And then notice, not only did he address him with respect, but he bowed before Saul. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped in an act of humility. He stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself as if to say, I am your servant. You are my king. Though you have tried to kill me, though you have lied about me, though you hunted me, I'm still your servant. The reverent posture of his heart and his address. And then we see his appeal here in verse number nine. And David said to Saul, wherefore hearest thou men's words saying, behold, David seeketh thy hurt. You've been listening to Doeg and people like that. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord hath delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee and said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. David said, I want you to know, if I wanted to kill you, I could have. And here's the evidence. You notice this? Look at your skirt. I could have killed you, but I didn't. I don't want to. I'm your servant. 
you're my king. Then we see the restful plea of his heart in verse number 12. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. In other words, I'm not going to take this matter into my own hands. I'm not going to stress and worry and live in this anxiety and tension. I'm not going to touch you. I'm going to give it to God. Right now, you may be embroiled in such a stressful and tense situation. And you think, I've found the opportunity to get rid of this situation and finally get rest. I want you to know, if your hand can take care of it, you're not going to find rest. But even though it may not be taken care of in the sense that it's not been dealt away with yet, if you recognize that it can be placed in the hands of God, then you can rest even in the midst of it even in the midst of it. David said, you want to fight me, but I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to touch you. Verse 13, it saith a proverb, the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? I mean, who are you coming after? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? Now, I'm going to tell you something. A dead dog can do you no harm. A living dog, well, if he's big enough, he can do you some harm. But a dead dog can't do anything to you. I'm harmless, he said. After a flea, a flea may irritate you, but it can't hurt you. The Lord, therefore, be judge. Here's, here's the key. The Lord, therefore, be judge and judge between me and thee, and see, and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. David said, I'm committing this to the Lord. You see, we see David's hand here, and then we note David's heart. There was a ruling presence within his heart. There was a reverent posture, a humility. It was always a reflection of his heart. And there was a restful plea. I'm giving this to God. Then we conclude with this thought this morning, and that is David's honor. David's honor. You say, well, David could have killed him, and most people would have said he had it coming, old Saul, and they probably would have. But imagine if he had. Can you imagine what the Bethlehem Times would have said? David kills the king. Stay tuned for trial coverage. It was a coup. He would have been maligned in the media, accused, blamed, and hated by the Benjamites. His kingdom would have been marred by this record. He would have been the king, but it would not have been in honor. And so we come to verse 16, and the Bible says, And it came to pass, when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. 
and said to David, thou art more righteous than I. In other words, you're more honorable than me. You're more righteous than me. You're more qualified to be the king of Israel than I am. This is Saul. For thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord hath delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, and will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good for that thou hast done unto me this day. Now there's some key words here in these verses. The word righteous, that's a key word. The word good, the word evil, the word reward. David had done nothing but good for Saul. That's what Jonathan tried to say to him. He reasoned with his father, why are you trying to kill David? He's done nothing but good for you. It was known throughout all the land. But Saul had it in his mind that David was against him. And so Saul, in his rejection of God's truth and his his disregard for God's commandments, was given over to impulse and followed the, 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 the deception of his own heart. And he viewed David as an enemy, and he rewarded him evil. But though he rewarded David evil, David rewarded Saul good. That's what God expects of us. You know that that guy at work that just rides you no matter what? He's definitely got a problem. He mistreats you or she mistreats you. God says, treat them with respect and do them good. You say, well, how can I do that? Well, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to find out. 1 Peter chapter number 2. We're going to find out why we should do it, and we're going to find out how we should do it. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 18, uh, Peter's writing to the church, which is comprised of many different people, and among them were servants or slaves and their masters. Throughout the Roman culture in the first century, many, many people were in slavery. Now, unlike what we think about in America, slavery was not restricted to any certain ethnic group. No. All different types of ethnicities and different representations of people could have found themselves as slaves. There were different classes of slaves. For example, medical doctors. There were medical doctors who were slaves. So Paul is writing to them. He's writing to those believers uh, who were also masters. And he writes here in, uh, or Peter rather, in 1 Peter 2 verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God, note that please, a man for conscience toward God endure grief, 
suffering wrongfully. In other words, do you have a bad boss? The way you respond to him is a reflection of your relationship with God. It is a reflection of whether or not you fear God. Verse 20, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? In other words, if you're suffering because you did wrong, well, you know you had that coming. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Now imagine that. God says, if you suffer from some oppressive soul in your life and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. God has a purpose and a plan. Verse 21, for even hereunto were ye, would you say that next word with me, church? Do you mean that God called me to suffer? under the hands of some Saul's? Yes. Yes. Why? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should, what? Follow his steps. He suffered. He's called me to suffer. Verse 23, speaking of the Lord, I quoted this earlier, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. What did he do? He endured it and committed himself to his father. What do you and I do? We follow the steps of Christ, and when we suffer wrongfully or from the hand of some oppressor, instead of fighting back, reviling back, instead of trying to hurt them, what is it that we are to do? We are to commit ourselves to the one who judges righteously. Verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. He wants you and I to live to righteousness, and he made the payment for our sin. Again, let me re-emphasize re, re this. Had he not endured it, our redemption would not be secure. And God is working in us and through us to fulfill his redemptive purpose and plan in our lives, and he uses Saul's and suffering and bad bosses and mean mates and rebellious children and naughty neighbors and lying tongues and false accusers. He uses that in our lives to fulfill his purpose. Therefore, our response should be to give it to him. Verse 20, And now, behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king. Here's the man who was doing everything he could to keep David from being the king, who is now overcome with the goodness of David. Maybe that guy at work or that spouse or whatever the case may be, 
maybe they just need to see somebody full of grace that God will use to break their heart. I know well that thou shalt surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Now, I want you to go back with me to just the scene early on in the cave. What did the men say? They said, he's fallen into your hand. Take the sword and smite him, and the kingdom will be yours. And David said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give it to God. (coughs) And as a result of that decision, guess what David got placed in his hand? the kingdom. And guess who saw it clearly and recognized it? Saul, his enemy. The kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. You have acted with honor and righteousness. You have been obedient to God. I have been disobedient to God. And today, God has established the kingdom in your hand. I want to tell you, friend, this battle that you're in, If you'll follow God, you're going to see it's going to be the greatest blessing because God is going to put some things in your hand. When you decide to drop the sword and give it to him, God is going to put some things in your hand that you could not have enjoyed otherwise. Verse 21, Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me and that thou will not destroy my name out of my father's house. Saul knows his days are numbered, doesn't he? And David swore unto Saul. And Saul went home. But David and his men got them up into the hold. What do we learn from this passage? Well, I think we need to remember whose hands we're really in. I remember in a junction of my life working with some people and somebody said, if you get in a precarious situation with a certain person, it could be the end of you. And I thought about what they said and I thought to myself, that's not true. I'm not in that man's hands. I'm in God's hands. I want you to know this morning, you're not in any person's hands. You're in the hands of the Lord. If you belong to him, no man can pluck you out of his hand. Now, if you're here this morning and and you don't belong to him, then you are not in his hand, and I want to invite you to come to him. I want to invite you to come to the one who endured the grief and the pain and the suffering so that you could be saved. Would you come to him today? He'll place you in his hand. No man can pluck you from him. Another thing that we need to learn is just simply to rest in him. If I'm in his hand, I don't need to be troubled. I mean, you can think about Noah. Imagine Noah in the ark, and it's raining, and they've never seen rain before, let alone the rain like they saw, and the fountains of the deep were open, and they could hear the screams of the people who were uh, dying in in the flood. You could have been anxious in the boat if you chose to be, but the fact of the matter is he was in the boat. 
and that thing was sealed. It was pitched with pitch. That's a symbol, a, a type, if you would, of the redemptive power of Christ who has sealed us in his own blood. Not one drop of water could get to Noah. Not one drop of God's judgment can come to those of us who are safe in the hands of Jesus. So I can choose something in the midst of the flood. I can choose to rest in him. Maybe today God is speaking to you and saying, put the sword down. Give it to me and rest. Hey, if anybody had a right to lose their reverence, wouldn't you thought it was David? But he didn't have that right. He kept a humble heart and a reverent attitude. May God help us to demonstrate humility. And that is the thing, of course, that God used to break at that moment the heart of Saul. I think sometimes we think that the people who treat us right are the people that will treat right. That's the thinking of the flesh. But God says, no, I want you to learn to treat everybody right, especially those who treat you wrong. And may God help us to follow his example. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.